Good morning. My name is Ian. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Pastor Paul, our lead pastor, is away today, and in his absence, he's asked if I would share the first message of a series that we'll be running concurrently with the book of Daniel. So for today, our primary text is not Daniel 5. We can all let out a collective aww. Rather, our sermon text is found in two places. Mark 3, 13 to 15, that's where we'll go first. Then we'll move to Acts 2, 42 through 47. So, Mark 3, 13 to 15. This is Jesus selecting the 12 apostles. And he, that being Jesus, went up onto the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. And then moving over to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. As you're finding your way there, know that these verses describe the life of the early church post-ascension of Jesus. That means post-Jesus going into heaven, as well as post-Holy Spirit coming in power at Pentecost. These people were, in many cases, flying by the seat of their pants, trying to figure out things as they went along, but in spite of the uncertainty, it's interesting to note how they recognized their great need for each other, both in life and in ministry. So again, beginning in Acts chapter 2 at verse 42. And they, they being the early Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing all proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. May God richly bless the reading of his word today. Most organizations have mission statements. And just to give you a little taste of what's out there, the following are a few of the better, more inspiring ones that I came across as I was prepping for today. Nike, to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. Google, to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Patagonia, which is an outdoor clothing company, to build the best product, cause no unnecessary harm. Shouldn't it be cause no harm? (laughs) Use business to inspire, 
and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. And finally, JetBlue, which is an airline. In the air and on the ground, we're committed to bettering the lives of our customers, crew members, and communities, and inspiring others to do the same. Hooah! <laughs> A mission statement should articulate priorities. This is what we're about. This is what fuels us. This is what we feel is important. Our church has a mission statement. But more than a catchy slogan or a marketing gimmick, this mission statement exists for the express purpose of moving us forward under a united banner. That banner being the most important cause we believe in the history of the world, that being the cause of Christ. PFBC's mission statement is simply this. Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church seeks to make fully devoted followers of Jesus who choose to impact their world. Follow Jesus, impact the world. It leads us to our need for Christ and then into a world that desperately needs to hear of Christ. And so as our staff team spoke this summer about a second fall sermon series, our conclusion after seeking the Lord's wisdom was that we would focus on this mission statement and specifically that we would focus on what it means to be a devoted follower of Jesus, knowing that as we focus on this, as we lean into this, impact will come. We believe that following Jesus is a journey that begins as we put our trust and our faith in him for the forgiveness of sins. We also believe, however, that our journey isn't finished when we say yes to Christ. Rather, it's only just the beginning. That when Jesus said, follow me, he wasn't looking for his disciples to answer with, Jesus, I believe that you are God and I believe that you have come to set the captives free but now I'm going back to my boat and I'm going fishing, living the same old life. He was asking them to follow him, to watch him, to learn from him, to model their lives and their ministries after him and his example to them. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Matthew 4.19 that the disciples and now we might learn the unforced rhythms of grace that come from a life of abiding with Christ. So do we want to be devoted followers of Jesus who choose to make an impact for the kingdom of God? If so, then it's crucial that we model our lives after the way that our Lord and Savior lived His. That's what this series is about. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Learning from Jesus. And that as we do this, our devotion grows and impact follows. So, what are those things that we can learn as we read and study the life and the ministry of our Lord? There's lots. <laughs> but for today, we're going to focus on just one. One. 
and that is simply this, that there is great value in fostering Christian community, in sharing life together. Very simply, that as we look to Jesus, we see that faith and life are meant to happen not in isolation from others, but rather within the context of ever-deepening relationships that we're meant to walk through life sharing our triumphs and our failures and our hardships and our joys and our ministries with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So today, we're going to talk about Christian community. Some of what it is, some of what it isn't, and why it's foundational as we seek to be devoted to the cause of Christ. Friends, this message is for those of you who know and love Jesus. It's my hope that as you hear and see the examples set before us in Scripture, you'll be spurred on in your faith. You'll be spurred on in the life that you're meant to share with your brothers and sisters in Christ. But this message is also for those of you who are new to Jesus today. I pray that this stuff will drive you to think more carefully about what it means to enter into this community of faith in Christ, to fix your eyes, your heart, and your life on Jesus and what it means to follow him. Let's pray just for a moment. Gracious God, we thank you for this time. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear your truth. We pray for those amongst us who may not know you. We pray that the gospel would be made clear. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for who we are in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, firstly, a little bit of what community is, and then a little bit of what it isn't. Keep in mind that this isn't an exhaustive list per se. It's simply what I believe the Lord has for us today. First and foremost, Christian community is only by the grace of God. Before we say anything about this subject, it's important that we recognize that fellowship is available to us only because of God's good grace to us. That it's under His name that we gather, that it's because of His love and His mercy that we're in this place, that fellowship is meant to be in Christ and because of the work of Christ and for the sake of Christ in this world that we meet under the banner of the eternal hope that we have in Christ. Had we not first been saved, pulled from the muck and the mud, this gathering would be in vain. And so we're thankful for the saving work of God in our lives. We're thankful that He's given us the opportunity to be together. Any discussion of Christian community needs to begin with praise and thanksgiving, a response of the Holy Spirit working in us as we recognize who God is and who we are in Him. Christian community is meant to include all aspects of life. A biblical definition of community could be as simple as the meaningful gathering of God's people. However, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 
a 20th century pastor, theologian, writer whose writing has very much influenced me as I think about Christian community, perhaps put it most succinctly when he wrote that what we see in the Gospels of Jesus and within the life of the early church in Acts 2 is the physical presence of Christians in order to share all that this earthly life entails. There's two words that I want to touch on there briefly. The first is physical. In that community is the physical presence of other Christians. In 2016, it's easier than ever to be connected, but also to be completely isolated and alone. I believe that social media and internet technology has a lot to do with this. Friends, we cannot lose the physical component of gathering together because it's here that we see and notice facial features and emotions. It's here that we share quiet moments. It's here that we laugh and we cry and we dream together. It's here that we break bread together. It's here that we lift one unified voice in song, praising the one who is worthy of our praise. It's here that we lend a simple shoulder tap, an arm over the shoulder, or an outstretched hand to help someone to their feet. Gen Xers and millennials, I'm going to pick on you for a moment, but it's okay because I'm one of you. I'm one of your tribe. Our laptops, our tablets, our smartphones don't constitute the entirety of what we need to be in community with other believers. These things can be useful tools, but nothing replaces being in a room with others. Can I get an amen from the people in the room? <laughs> the second word that I want to mention from this working definition is the word all, in that we're meant to share in all that this earthly life entails. We live in an age of unprecedented privacy concern. Also, I would argue that Western 20th century culture has created in us this great need for independence from others. And so we find ourselves in this place where our days often look very much like the following. We get up and we eat alone. We walk through our garages and into our cars. We drive to work alone. We sit in an office or a cubicle at work alone. We put our headphones on at lunch and we sit in the park alone. We go home again and we park in our garages. We go into our homes and we sit or we go into our backyards, which are conveniently enclosed by fences. And then we go to bed. And while this example certainly isn't meant to be a sweeping generalization, is it far from the truth? We seem to be uneasy about sharing information with others. And we don't like to dig because we don't like it when other people dig into our lives. This closed-off lifestyle certainly isn't what we see in and through the life of Jesus. 
Nor is this what we see from the first Christians in Acts 2. Rather, we see openness. We see transparency. We see a desire for increased interaction. We see a desire for deepening relationships. In many cases, this is the opposite of how we live. This is the opposite of what the world around us tells us is important. Our culture tells us that we got to grind it out for 60 or 70 hours a week so that we can have that home, so that we can have that ride. Our culture tells us that it's all about stuff, but as we open our Bibles, as we look to the Scriptures, as we look to the Gospels of Jesus, we see that Jesus was all about people. We're constantly bombarded with these conflicting messages. And I know that I, for one, often lose this battle. I pass people in the foyer, I pass people in hallways or in the supermarket, and I ask, how are you, because I feel it's my good Christian duty. And I answer fine when someone asks me because I don't feel I have the time to get into a conversation or I don't want to be poked or prodded or I feel embarrassed about what the answer is that I should be giving because there are cases where, folks, I am not fine. We are not fine. Just imagine for a moment going into a grocery store, seeing a friend, asking, how are you, and getting something like, you know what, Ian, I'm a flaming mess. My marriage is in shambles. My children don't listen to a word I say. My job is killing my soul. And because of these things, I have a hard time getting up in the morning. What would our response be to that? What would my response be to that? Uh, the apples are really fresh today and then try to walk off this way. <laughs> you see what I mean though? We've asked the question. We should be prepared for the response, shouldn't we? But our culture, again, has conditioned us to look the other way on both sides of the coin. What I'm saying is this, biblically, if we're devoted to following Jesus, then there's got to be more to this life than fine. And if you and I can't share how we're actually feeling, if you and I can't share how we're actually doing, if we can't pray together, then what are we doing? My wife, Amanda, and I went through a horrendous, awful medical crisis a few years ago. And I'm convinced that one of the things that propped us up when we could have imploded was the committed, devoted lives of those around us who weren't content to accept my answer of fine. These are the types of relationships that Jesus calls us into. Holy Spirit, give us the strength we need. Christian community is a privilege. I think it's important for us to recognize that even as we gather here in this place, there are countless numbers of our brothers and sisters who are, like the Apostle John on the island prison of Patmos, unable to take part in the kind of community that we've been discussing. 
the physical gathering of God's people, the public reading and preaching of His Word, opening Bibles in coffee shops, praying in grocery stores, church on the beach. Christian community without the threat of persecution is a gift, friends. It is not a given. Christian community is social. Finally, community is at its very biblical core, social. We need look no further than the triune God for evidence of this. Three persons, one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, coexisting, honoring one another, working together in power through the process of creation and redemption and the sanctification of God's people. Genesis 1.27 says that humankind was created in the image of God. And because of this, because God by His very nature is social, scriptural reasoning would dictate that we were created to be social beings. To honor one another. To be held up by one another. To walk through this life together. Okay, what community is not? Christian community isn't a clique. Lots of us have fond memories of our schooling and lots of us don't have many good memories at all. And based on the conversations that I've had with others, I would suggest that many of our negative memories come from moments in time when we were excluded. You couldn't break into that friendship circle or group or you got cut from a team or you were told at one point or another that you just weren't good enough. But when we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus wasn't into the business of being exclusive. He welcomed all people into his midst. He certainly told them like it was in that he called out sin, but he did so with great grace and wisdom, all the while calling people to something better in the process. I think of the exchange between he and the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, 1-28 as an example of this. Kindness followed by truth and grace followed by Jesus calling this woman into something greater, something eternal. Christian community isn't a time for exclusion. Rather, it's an opportunity to be constantly inviting people in, helping to guide them toward that deep, overflowing well that is Christ. So open up your groups. Open up your homes. Open up your friendship circles. Your conversations. Allow those who are seeking to enter into the dialogue. Answer questions that they may have in earnest about what you're doing or how you're living. Be unashamedly truthful with them as Jesus was unashamedly truthful regarding who you are, what you stand for, as well as who they could be in Christ. But do so as Jesus did with kindness, grace, and wisdom, praying in the Spirit that He would give you what you need to meet them where they are. Open door policy, not closed door. Christian community isn't meant to be an exercise in religious ritual. 
Now, I precursed this by saying that there's nothing wrong with utilizing or being engaged in traditions of the church so long as they serve to focus our hearts and our minds on the things of Christ. I attended an Anglican seminary. I learned what it meant to practice various forms of liturgy. And these were some of the most impactful, worshipful times of my life. I found myself time and time again at the foot of the cross. The danger, as is the case in any tradition, neglecting the why behind why we do it. If we neglect the why, oftentimes we'll end up doing it just because we've done it. We mustn't come to a point where we're gathering together and sharing together just because we feel it's a box we need to check as we continue down the road of life and faith. May the act of sharing life together constantly be drawing us near to Christ as we serve one another and the world around us. Christian community isn't easy. If we're being honest with ourselves, it's probably easier much of the time to remain by oneself, unhindered by the company of others. For many of you introverts, introverts unite, anyone? It can be a difficult process to put yourself out there. I'm an introvert, so I feel your pain. But that doesn't mean we're not called into it. It means that there's sacrifice involved. Friends practicing Fellowship or community or whatever you want to call it is a spiritual discipline. I have a close friend who's currently planting a church in Ottawa, and every Lord's Day, without fail, he goes without food. He fasts. This is difficult for him. Oftentimes, he feels really uncomfortable. But he feels strongly that on this particular day, he needs to be reminded of his dependency, not on earthly things, but rather on Christ. Community can be uncomfortable. We should do that everyone stand and shake hands thing to see how uncomfortable it gets for people. It can make one feel uneasy, out of place, or awkward. But as we push into this discipline, I believe that God reveals himself to us in ways that are refining, growing, and encouraging. Christian community isn't a time to cloister together. We get comfortable in our bubbles, don't we? We get comfortable with our friends and our friendship circles, and oftentimes we forget that the world outside of that bubble needs the gospel of Jesus. And this leads directly into our second discussion point very quickly this morning, and that's this. Why we believe community is foundational. We've done the what. It's time for the why. Why do we gather? Why do we do this? If we go back to our scriptures for today, we see a blueprint for community highlighting its value and its purpose in Mark 3, 13-15, we see Jesus selecting the young men who would become his inner circle, his community. And I want to read these verses for you one more time. And you know what? I would even encourage you to just let this wash over you as I read. 
starting at verse 13, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Note they were with Jesus, and they were sent out by Jesus. Additionally, as we read of the first Christians in Acts 2, a similar pattern emerges. We see deep fellowship. They ate together. They worshipped together. They shared everything that they had. They watched together as the Spirit of God moved in power. But this was followed by active outreach and ministry, social justice for the sake of Christ at its earliest, as they shared with all who were in need. Not surprisingly, because of this mercy ministry, they found favor with all people. And God multiplied those who were being saved. What we see here is that community is built upon a foundation whereas we come together to be built up and prayed up and encouraged and taught. It's where we come to find rest, recuperation, accountability, wholeness. It's where we're mentored. It's where we're discipled. All so that we can be sent out into our spheres of influence, wherever those might be. School, the office, the hockey rink, the pickleball court, the beach in Tofino, in order to proclaim the hope that we have in Christ. Additionally, the with and the scent aren't meant to happen in neat little steps. There's constant overlap. We're witnesses in this world. We're constantly being sent. We're constantly pouring out for the sake of Christ, giving all that we have. And because of this, we need to be connected to a community of faith so that we, in turn, can be poured back into and filled up. As we look at the life of Jesus, it doesn't make scriptural sense to be poured into without pouring out. Let's call this spiritual hoarders. On the flip side, pouring out without being poured into is certainly the express route to ministry and faith burnout. We need you for the long haul. We see in the book of Mark that the disciples for a time were with Jesus. They rested, they learned, they watched, they were encouraged. Then they were sent out, two by two, into the world to preach and to cast out demons. This is Mark 6, 7 through 13. But if we read further still, we see that they regrouped. Friends, rest and soul nourishment are necessary as we continually get re-equipped for the battle. So the value of community is that when fulfilled biblically, it fuels our tank so that we can more effectively carry out our purpose in this world. And what is that purpose? Jesus spells it out for us in Matthew 18, 19, and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We're called into community 
so that we can go into the world. Follow Jesus, impact the world. Follow Jesus, impact the world. Friends, all of us are being called even now into something greater. For those of us who've made a commitment of faith to Jesus, who've recognized the hold of sin, our need for a Savior, the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross, and the eternal hope that we have because of this sacrifice made once for all, our calling is to go deeper and to go forth. To live devoutly for the sake of Christ and to live with others in unity, ministering side by side in the power of the Holy Spirit. And for those of us who've yet to make this decision to follow Jesus, know that Jesus is calling today. The cross of Christ is in view. It's here that we find forgiveness of sins. It's here that we find acceptance. It's here that we find our strength. And it's here that we find our worth. Follow Jesus. Impact the world. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the moments that you've given us to be together here today. And I want to pray over this room right now that you would give us what we need to do this battle well, to run this race well. God, we pray that you would teach us what it means to live in unity, locked arm in arm as we go into the world to proclaim who you are, to proclaim the freedom that is found in you, to proclaim the glorious gospel of Christ. We thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.